Good morning, church. Um, it's Christmas time, and Christmas is my yearly reminder that I am the single worst gift giver in the entire world. I am horrible at giving gifts to people. I, there's um, Some of you might be familiar with uh, uh, Dr. Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages. Uh, uh, there's an online assessment that you can take. And the online assessment, the high score, you can get to 12. And I score 12 on words of affirmation. So I score 12 on words of affirmation. My gift score is zero. So apparently you don't have to ever buy me anything. Just tell me I'm pretty. And I guess that'll work. But I'm horrible at doing this. And and, and no one is harder for me to figure out than my mom. Uh, buying a Christmas present for my mom was always hard. She would never give me anything solid to go on. I would ask her, you know, every year is the same ritual, right? Mom, what do you want for Christmas? And mom would always give the same answer. She would always say, I want peace on earth. That's what I want. Sure, mom, no problem. But honestly, who doesn't want that? I mean, I would, I would be fine with that. I would be fine with peace on earth, I, I thought about the letters we wrote to Santa when we were kids. And, and I don't know how your letters went, uh, but mine always began with a variation on the theme. It always began something like this. Dear Santa, I have been a very good boy this year. Some of yours might have said something like, Dear Santa, let me explain. And the purpose behind that is the same. We want Santa to come and we want him to bring us something besides coal in our stocking. So we preface our wish list with the reasons why it would be a good idea for the guy in the red suit to come and visit us. Now, I don't know about you, but as I grow older, I've noticed that my Christmas wish list has gotten noticeably shorter. I don't wish for the Atari 2600 game system anymore or Stretch Armstrong like I used to. I think I would be fine with this. The Apostle Paul had a list too. And if peace was going to make an appearance, then there would need to be an introduction that would allow Jesus to show up. We're going to be spending some time this morning in Philippians chapter 4. And what I want you to understand as we do that, I want you to think of Philippians 4 as the milk and cookies that are laid out on the coffee table, welcoming peace into the home. Let's dive into the text, beginning in verse 2. It says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women. Yodi and Syntyche were two ladies in the church who apparently had trouble getting along. I'm so glad that doesn't happen anymore today. You know what's funny? They're names. Names in the Bible meant something. Yodia means successful. Syntyche means lucky. But in the moment, probably, they don't feel very successful or very lucky. In fact, they seem to be having a disagreement Paul understood something about disagreements. He fought with Barnabas before going on a missionary journey. He scolded Peter for ignoring new Gentile converts. He challenged religious leaders and even called out Caesar himself. And maybe that's why his tone is so relaxed. 
He's not yelling at them, but he is calling them out. Paul actually mentions them by name. So this must have been important. I think the importance might lie in the fact that he has been challenging the church in the book of Philippians to think like Christ. That word think, that idea permeates the entire book of Philippians. It's a new way of thinking. It's developing a new mindset. It's developing a new approach to who we are around one another and who we are in relationship to Christ. He uses the word think a lot in Philippians. In fact, where he says be of the same mind, that's that word. Think like the Lord. But it's the same word he used back in chapter 2 when he said to be like-minded, one in spirit and in purpose. And notice what Paul tells the rest of the church. Help them. I remember being outside our high school gym my freshman year when somebody told me, Jeff and Dwayne are fighting. And I remember running over to watch. I'm not sure which is sadder. The fact that people in the church fight or the others just stand around and watch. I think there are a lot of things that God's people can argue about. Some people like vanilla ice cream. Some like chocolate. Some get up at the crack of dawn. Others get up at the crack of noon. Some people are Cubs fans. Others are just wrong. We can have disagreements. And Christ's church draws people from all kinds of backgrounds, varied interests and goals and hopes and desires. And truth be told, you and I may not agree on a whole lot of everything. But if we want peace, there's one place in which we must agree. The price of peace is to think like Jesus. That's what the Bible means when he talks about unity. The one time in the Bible where Jesus prays for you specifically, and we have it recorded, John 17. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. We don't have to agree on everything. But when we agree on the one thing that matters, Jesus is Lord and I will be like him. Then the world will believe. That's how I want to think. I want to look at every encounter through the lens of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, sometimes we fall into the trap of believing that peace is impossible because we are in conflict with others. Guys, if there was anyone who understood conflict in the Bible, it was Jesus. For a guy who loved everyone, he sure had a rough time getting along with them. Every time Jesus turned around, he found himself at odds with somebody else, the religious leaders his own disciples, his own family. But look what Paul said earlier in Philippians. He said, in your relationships with one another, think, there's that word again, think, have the same mindset as Jesus. Do we want peace? Then think like Jesus thinks. 
He didn't use his power to his advantage, but made himself nothing. Took on the very nature of a servant, humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, there's going to come a day when I stand before my father, or more than likely fall face first before my father on the day of judgment. When that day comes, I would, I would like to have that assurance that when I do stand before him, that I know he will welcome me in as his child. And I know it. I have that assurance. But I also have what John told his churches. And John gives us an indicator of what that's going to look like. What, look what he says in 1 John 4. He says, this is how love is made complete among us. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. I think what he's about to say next, we probably should pay attention to. What does he say? In this world, like Jesus. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not total agreement with everyone on every issue. Peace is the understanding of the only thing, the only one who is truly important. I don't think it's a coincidence back in Philippians chapter 4 that the next thing Paul says is this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Rejoice. There is no difference between you and me that will separate us. Rejoice. We have a peace that the world cannot help but be drawn to. Rejoice. The Lord is near. If we're not careful, we miss those words. And I think that those might be the most important words in Philippians chapter 4. The Lord is near. What is the price of peace? The price of peace is the presence of the Prince of Peace. I think people want peace on their own terms. They want peace when their life and their choices remove Jesus from the equation. They can't figure out why their behavior and a personal connection with their Savior cannot live side by side. I love reading people on Facebook that talk about all the stuff that they do and all the bad choices that they're making. And one day they're talking about their bad choices and the next day they're like, why can't I catch a break? And I'm reading and I'm thinking, because you're an idiot. Because you keep making these choices over and over and over again. And you wonder why peace eludes you. Well, the price of peace is the presence of the Prince of Peace. We've always said that the peace isn't the absence of conflict. That's what peace isn't. But here's what peace is. Peace is the presence of of God. Paul told the church in Rome, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Peace doesn't come when all of your problems go away. Because they will never all go away. You will die with a to-do list. there will always be things left undone, things left unsaid, 
Relationships left unrestored. Goals unmet. You don't get peace by checking off all the items on the list. Peace comes from total surrender to God. There is no sin that will be more important than your walk with Jesus. There is no opinion that you have that will be more important than your allegiance to the king. Back to Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I don't know about you. I read a verse like this, and I think to myself, I am so dead. I mean, anxious is my middle name. I came out of the womb anxious. And I know this for a fact, because when I was born, my twin brother and I came out. My doctor told my mom, these boys are going to be high strung. I don't know how he knew it, but he knew it. Anxiousness is my middle name. I literally walk around tighter. I'm wound up tighter than a broken clock. So I come to you today as a hypocrite of hypocrites to tell you that there is a new way of thinking. It's perfectly okay, I think, even biblical, to be concerned for situations and people in need. That concern is what drives you to your knees in the first place, right? Will you pray for something? You pray for something because you're concerned about it. It, it, it takes your attention and your thoughts and, and, and your tears and your frustration. And so in the midst of that, you bring that to the Lord. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the fact that God gives us a heart that cares for other people and a desire for him to act mightily in our lives. But there is a fundamental difference between having a concern for others and worrying that God isn't able to do his thing. There are lots of things and people that we are concerned about. But the one thing that we want, if we want peace, the one thing we cannot worry about is whether or not God is going to be God. Some people tell me, and I, I, I prayed all the time for this. Why isn't God responding? And I often counter with this. Are you sure that you're praying all the time about this? Or are you just thinking about it all the time? Are you praying about this? Are you praying about this issue? Are you praying about this person? Or are you just worried about them all the time? Because, my friends, there is a difference between being worried about something and bringing it before the Father. I tend to end my prayers by saying I am thankful. I am thankful for the one who will deal with this situation. I I am thankful that it is not my job to fix this problem. I am thankful for the peace that the presence of God provides. I am thankful that Christ gave me his mind to love and serve. And when you have the mind of Christ, when you live your life in his presence, when you are confident in God's will as you pray, then something happens. The peace of God shows up. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard. The world doesn't get the peace of God. And I will be honest with you. Sometimes I don't either. I don't always get it. I don't always understand it. 
Most of the time when the word guard is used in the New Testament, it refers to a prison. And that can't be right. Peace can't be a prison. But the concept of guard back in the Old Testament gives us a different perspective. If you look at Psalmist, what he wrote in Psalm 28, here's what he said. He said, the Lord is my strength and my shield. Peace isn't a prison. It's a shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song I will praise him. The Lord is the strength of his people. It is a fortress. There's that word guard. It is a fortress. It's not a prison. It's a fortress that saves me. What is the price of peace? The price of peace is to stop trying to do God's job for him. We oftentimes try to figure out this peace thing ourselves. As if somehow our actions and our actions alone are going to be what it takes to make it happen. You are not the shield. You are the child behind the shield. You are not the fortress. You are the one who gets to live in it. Peace is a mindset. Philippians is a book about how you think. And how we should think differently. Look what he says next. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what does he say? Think. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Peace is a choice. All the way back to verse 2 where we started. I choose to never allow my disagreements with a brother or sister in Christ to get in the way of main thing. I choose to have the same mind as Jesus. I choose to celebrate the presence of God. I choose to bring my concerns to God and never allow my worry to overcome his power. I choose to live in God's fortress and let him carry the load. And I choose to think about the things that my Jesus thinks about. Now, what's interesting about this list that that Paul gives us in Philippians chapter 4, it's interesting in the sense of the words that Paul uses. You see the words. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is what? True? Whatever is? Whatever is? Whatever is, okay, those four words, those are church words. Those are words that would have been used in the context of worship. Those are words that people in the local gathering of the body would have heard every single week. There is no surprises in these four words. These are words that would have come, we would have come together and we would have said, we will bless you with these words. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. Now, here's what's interesting. The next four words are not. Look what he says next. He says, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is. He moves on us. We don't see it here. 
Because we look at those words and think, well, those words are just as good of words as any. And actually, you're right, they are. They're just not words that would have been used in the first century church. They wouldn't have been ideas or thoughts that would have been brought up in the worship context to reflect on the goodness of God and the joy it is to come together as a body. It's a move from the biblical to the cultural. Paul is telling the church to see the beauty in all of God's creation, not just what we consider to be churchy, a sunset, a symphony orchestra, a baby's laugh, a really good joke, a good cry. If we want peace, There are things that we are to do and there are things that we're not to do. There's a comedian named Bob Newhart. Some of you might know him. If you don't, you can Google him. Bob Newhart years and years ago did a skit where he played a counselor. I really wish I could show this skit to you, but I just can't because we don't have the time. But... um, Bob Newhart's told the clients that he only charged $5 for his services. He told, as a counselor, I charge $5 for the first five minutes, and then there's no charge after the first five minutes. And, of course, the client says, why don't you charge any more after the first five minutes? He says, because my appointments never last any longer than five minutes. And, of course, the client's like, I don't understand. Why, doesn't, why don't your appointments last longer than five minutes? Because the person starts to tell him what's going on in their life and the things that they're thinking and feeling. And Bob Newhart says this. He says, I'm going to say two words to you right now. And I want you to listen to them very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them into your life. Church, I'm going to say two words to you this morning. And I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the church with you. And I want you to incorporate them into your life. Are you ready? Here are the two words. Stop it. Of course, his client begins to complain. What are you talking about? And he says, what is it that's so difficult for you to understand? S-T-O-P, first word. S-T-O-P. Second word, I-T. Stop it. Peace means getting a hold of your brain sometime and telling it, stop it. When those disagreements that we talked about earlier in Philippians 4, when those disagreements threaten your biblical relationship with others, stop it. When you start to see those relationships struggle in the church, when you start to see that conflict beginning to build up, in that moment, as soon as you see it, you play spiritual whack-a-mole with that baby and you stop it. When gentleness is the furthest thing from your mind, stop it. When you're tempted to carry your worries instead of giving them to the God who can handle them, stop it. When you are tempted to think anything but the thoughts of Jesus, stop it. But Tracy, I can't. That's a shame because the Apostle Paul seemed to think that you could. Here's what he says. He says, we do what? Demolish. There's a strong word, isn't there? 
He doesn't just say we stop him. He says we crush him. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And I want to read this together, that last part. I want to read that together. Read it with me. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Did you catch that? Notice what comes first. The thought comes first. That thought of struggle and conflict in relationship. That thought of fear and anxiety when you don't realize that God's power is stronger than your worry and your fear. When we're thinking about everything besides what it is that we're supposed to be thinking about, we take captive that thought. I'm not going to tell you that you're never going to have a conflict. I'm not going to tell you that you're never going to worry. I'm never going to tell you that you're not going to think about stuff you ought not be thinking about. But I'm telling you, when it happens, the Bible tells us what to do with it. And what you do with it is you grab a hold of it by the neck and you say, you belong to Jesus Christ. You go where you belong. And it's amazing what happens to the church when we do. Your mind belongs to Christ. Doesn't it? Does your mind belong to Christ? It's okay to answer. Yeah, yes, it does. So every thought that comes out of your head goes through a filter. And if that doesn't pass the filter test, if your thought doesn't pass the smell test, then your thought never sees the light of day. What is the filter? What is the smell test? Think about such There's your filter. Oh, by the way, Paul says one more thing about peace that you might want to pay attention to. I don't want to forget it. It says this. It says, whatever you've learned or heard or seen from me or put it into practice. And what? The God of peace will be with you. Paul has challenged the church of Philippi to think differently. To think like Christ, to welcome his presence, to quit trying to do his job for him. To take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And then he puts the bow on the present by saying this. What I've said to you, what I've taught you, what you've seen in me, what you've heard from me, do it. And the God of peace will be with you. If you're looking for a takeaway from a sermon, which I always think is helpful, I'd say a takeaway might be this. Ask yourself a question. Can you say this about yourself? If the person sitting beside you, your husband, your wife, your child, your friend, If the person beside you, sitting beside you, took everything in your life and put it into practice, would the peace of God be with them? Think about that. If they took everything from your life and implemented it into theirs, would peace show up? The answer is no. 
And what are you going to do about it? If you cannot look in good conscience at someone else and say, follow my lead, then what needs to change in your life? And while I probably do not need to bring this up, I will. Paul never promises them peace if they follow his lead. I've tried to choose my words very carefully here. I want you to see, what does Paul promise here? What does he say? He says, put it into practice and what? And the God of peace will be with you. What am I trying to say? When we choose to think like Jesus, when we welcome the presence of Jesus, when we quit trying to do the job of Jesus, when we take hold of every thought and give them to Jesus, we get something better than peace. We get Jesus. The reason why you may not have peace this Christmas season may be because Maybe because you're setting out cookies and milk for the wrong thing. My Christmas list is very short and very simple. I want Jesus. I told you I'm a horrible gift giver, and, and, and that's, just, that's just true. I, um, Christmas around my house is a pretty simple process. My wife tells me what to buy, and I go buy it. That's it. My wife will send me, she sent me an email here just yesterday and said, here's what I want for Christmas. Included a web link for me to click. And I immediately went to the website and I bought the item and it's on its way. I trust my Jesus to tell me what I need to get. I wish you Jesus. I wish you the peace that only he can provide. I wish you the willingness to think like he does, to love one another like he does, to bask in his presence and to experience the freedom that comes when we stop trying to fix everything, to take every thought that goes through your head and lay it at his feet to follow Jesus and become a follower of Jesus for whom others can follow. If, if that, my friends, is the price of peace, I wish you peace. And maybe Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we come before you now because you are the bringer of peace. Today we come to you because we are not, we're not there yet. <laughs> 